family and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one, let's go. Here is plenty of time today, Jesse Rubinoff, <laughs> dancing once again over there. Ruby's allowed after, feels good, a week off because he lost a bet. This is Tim and Friends for Monday, February 28th, year of our Lord. Holy bleep, what else can happen? I think that's the official distinction of year 2022, Jesse, uh, year of our Lord, holy bleep. I can't think of anything more appropriate than holy bleep. Uh, this uh, 2022 thing is crazier than the Leafs-Red Wings game. In case you haven't figured out, I'm Tim McAuliffe. He's Jesse Rubinoff. This is Tim and Friends. And today, those friends include Ben Nicholson-Smith on deadline day in Major League Baseball. Eric Smith, after a puzzling weekend for the Toronto Raptors and a perfect weekend for Canada basketball, Eric Smith called the games right here on Sportsnet. NHL and Sportsnet analyst Justin Bourne and I will walk through a busy weekend in the National Hockey League that finds the Leafs' defense and goaltending reeling, yet the team still winning. The Canucks trying to make a run while their fan base focuses on the deadline. And the Oilers now on the outside looking in on the postseason. All that, plus the legend Ron McLean will join the fray. I had a hometown hockey that features the Leafs in Washington to take on Alexander Ovechkin and the Capitals. And while Ovi, of course, would love the conversation to be centered around his breaking Wayne Gretzky's record... I don't think that's possible, given the current state of the world and his past relationship with Vladimir Putin. I mean, could Ovi get booed at home? That's a possibility tonight on Hometown Hockey. And I will ask Ron McClain if he's ever seen anything like this in his years, dare I say decades, I just did, covering the game of hockey and all sports in general coming up. Safe to say it's kind of hard to ignore the sports world's reaction to Russia right now. Uh, After the initial shock of Russia's invasion of Ukraine last week, the rest of the world has responded. Putin's Russia has been hit with far-reaching sanctions from economic to artistic, and it all started rolling in quicker than you can say Yuri Gagarin. The world's sporting response was no different. In fact, it just might be leading the way. At least now it is. The world of sports has weighed in. Last week we told you about UEFA taking the Champions League final from St. Petersburg. Well, over the weekend, the tides continued to turn as a number of federations, including F1, skiing and curling, pulled premier events from Russia. Even the IOC, not exactly exempt from taking Russian money or helping Vladimir Putin in Russia sports wash, actually encouraged sanctioning Russia. It was an incredible break from the IOC's normally cushy relationship with Vladimir Putin, who just attended the Beijing opening ceremonies, despite the Russians being officially banned from the Games. That banned nation had over 200 athletes at the Olympics, including a 15-year-old skater who some believe was involved in the state-sponsored doping program that got them banned in the first place. Let that sink in for a second. 15 years old. Meanwhile, Putin's favorite sport, hockey, had yet to pull the trigger as of early this morning. St. Petersburg scheduled to host the World Championships in May of 2023. But Wayne Gretzky, whose grandparents are from that part of the world, 
wanted the IIHF to do more. He said that Russia shouldn't be allowed to play in the World Juniors in Alberta this summer. And apparently after meeting today, the IIHF agreed. That will happen, along with a ban from every other competition through the end of the summer. And FIFA. Let's talk about FIFA for a second. Soccer's governing body, governing body, soccer's governing body, initially issued a statement yesterday that allowed Russia to continue World Cup qualifying by issuing the same ridiculous ban the IOC did for the state-sanctioned doping scandal. I should really watch what I'm trying to say there. State shanks, 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 shanks. <laughs> All right. Uh, a ban not on Russia, but a ban on their flag, name, and anthem. Well, that went over like New Coke, uh, the Sportsnet life coach, and a lead balloon combined. Poland, who is set to play Russia in a World Cup playoff, had the guts to do what FIFA didn't and refused to play them. Sweden and Czechia, who would play Russia if they got past Poland, Followed suit, said we're not going to play them. So today, FIFA completed the about face and announced alongside UEFA, the European Soccer Federation, that they had banned Russia's national and club teams from all competitions. Man, when FIFA and the IOC turn their back on a money-providing dictator, you know things are bad. They usually line up for that ish like they're receiving communion. Catholics, Christians, they go to communion and they hold their hands like this. It's for a piece of bread, though, not money. It's a different kind of bread. You see, the World Cup and the Olympics have been especially close to Russia and, frankly, a part of the problem, allowing Putin and Russia to cheat and sport wash with very little resistance. Sports have long been a part of the propaganda for many. Perhaps no more, at least for now, and at least with Russia. And while it may not be enough to stop Putin, taking away his sports is definitely taking away one of his loves and one of his weapons. Oh yeah, but tell me again how sports isn't political. It is without a doubt a time to be cynical at best and at worst a time where we're reminded once again just how barbaric humans can be. How terrible this world can be as the crowds pile up across the borders of the Ukraine looking for food and shelter in places like Poland and Slovakia, Romania, Hungary, Moldova. It's in these times, though, that we're reminded, although maybe hard to see, if you look close enough, you can see the light. Yes, amidst a lack of humanity, if you peer deep enough, you can still see it along those borders, people being fed and providing shelter. If you look close enough, even in sports, from the NBA where the Kings and Nuggets stood in solidarity with Alex Len, a Ukrainian basketball player. From Six Nations Rugby to the NCAA. From the Bundesliga to the Premier League, football stood with Ukraine. And perhaps that was no more evident than the scenes from Lisbon, where Benfica brought on Ukrainian international Roman Yuremchuk in the 62nd minute of their match with Vitoria. And not only handed him the captain's armband, but the Benfica supporters made it a moment to remember, reducing your Remchuk and maybe me to tears. Impressionante no Sangaruz. Olha só. 
What an incredible scene. And while I can still, I really still feel like sports can make a difference uh, in the worst of times, I also recognize that I might be willfully naive. Uh, But that was a wonderful scene and uh, something that I look forward to happening uh, not too often in the future. Okay, so that's the latest on the sporting world's response. But there is so much to get to on this Monday. We've got a lot to get to. Major League Baseball, I think the bickering has been put into perspective a little bit. We'll get to as much as we can, starting with first things first. And my guy, Jesse Rubinoff. So let's pick this thing up a little bit, Stephen Shutt. That's very well said. Nah. It's not much you can say. Yeah. um, It's important. I mean, it's important to have these kinds of conversations, even though we are a sports show. These are things that are happening in the world. They have an effect on everybody. So... Uh, Without a doubt, I very agree. Well set there's, up there's right, there's wrong, and uh, putting it out there for people to see is yes, important, I think. definitely. Uh, okay, back to sports we go. Two Canadian teams in action tonight after another busy weekend in the National Hockey League. The Leafs take on the Capitals on Rogers' hometown hockey, and Peter Morazic is expected to start in net, while the Canucks look for their fourth straight win as they continue their road trip in New Jersey as brothers Quinn and Jack Hughes go head-to-head for the third time in their NHL careers, so much to talk about from this weekend's games. What's the most important storyline for you, Timmy? Oh, there are a lot here. I mean, when you win by a field goal in Detroit, <laughs> as the Toronto Maple Leafs, that's a significant starting space. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers playing probably their best hockey in the two losses of what has turned into the Murderer's Row road trip is a significant starting point. The Vancouver Canucks playing... Better of late, dare I say really good under Bruce Boudreaux and their fan base still wanting for them to trade some significant pieces going into the deadline is another significant starting point. I'll just ask you, as a long-standing conversation, as all three of those <laughs> basically are, uh, the Leafs, are you worried about their goaltending and defense? Are you tired of this conversation? Because they did play good against the Wild. Yeah. Right? Yeah, oh yeah. They Only locked the, it down. It was a low event game. I mean, Minnesota hasn't exactly played great as of late, mm-hmm. but it was an impressive performance. But to follow it up with what we saw in Detroit, I mean, that's got to be concerning to all Leaf fans. Basically, this season, um, as had the last couple of seasons, although they haven't been able to get to the first round, the expectation or the goal is the Stanley Cup. And if you go into Detroit and you put on a goaltending performance like that, the goal of being a Stanley Cup, I think you might need to reevaluate your goaltending if you plan to get there. Now, I understand there is a contingent of fans that looks at what Peter Morazic did, I guess, against the Wild and says maybe they give him a little bit of runway. But it is pretty obvious now it is more than a two-month sample size. This is whatever happened to Jack Campbell has happened. And if he can't figure it out by the time the playoffs roll around, if you don't make a move, you are taking that risk. And you cannot go into the playoffs with this kind of goaltending. You can't do it. Can I give you a stat? Let's hear it. Jack Campbell's career save percentage is 917. Do you know what his save percentage is this year? Slightly below that. 917. It's the exact same. Is that just the goalie prone to wonderful streaks of absolute dominance and then 
followed by wonderful streaks of absolute meh. It's possible. And, and the unfortunate thing is that it's, it feels like it came with a stretch of him being way above average and now a stretch where he's significantly below average. And if it was consistent the whole year through of him giving you 9-17 goaltending, I think from a Leafs fan's perspective, you'd at least be able to understand who you have, what kind of a commodity you have in net. But the fact that now over the last couple of months he can't seem to figure it out, that is what gives me more concern. Because is it the Jack Campbell from early is it the Jack Campbell of now? Is it somewhere in, in, in between? You literally have no idea okay, so based on the last couple weeks. Okay, so let me give you the splits then. The splits are before January 7th, he was one of the best goalies in the league yep. and in the Vesna Trophy conversation. After January 7th, I mean, not even in the top half of the goaltenders in the league. Third worst since January 1st in save percentage. Right. Like, that's not going to get it done. So what do you do? Like, th- Is it actually third worst, even though it's 30th, or are you just saying that because it's 30th? I believe, it's th- I believe he's third worst. I don't know. It's just okay. a stat no, I got. I was, just, I was like, just that, doing homework. That's, that's matching up wonderfully. Like, yeah. there are 32 starting goalies, but there's yeah. more goalies that play. Yes, correct. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, when there, I looked up, I was like, 30th. I'm pretty sure there's a wow. minimum attached to that somewhere along the line. So it's, it's more than I think. Goal, it's going okay, to so have played at least ten games, right, something like that. Right. St- stop the nonsense. Like, let's stop. Like, like, let's cut to the the, the actual fat here. Like, the chase. Do you believe the Leafs need to go after defense help and or a goaltender? I think because that's somewhat- where we're at, right? Like, oh yeah, this is a team that has expectations. They're probably, if they're not going to win the division, going to have a real tough first round matchup in maybe the toughest division in hockey, like, you can't mess around here. No. Like, if you're Kyle Dubas, your job might be on the line if you don't get out of the first round. Even if your points percentage is top five in the league, you're still going to get one of the Lightning or the Panthers in the first round. And so I look at this situation for Dubas, for Shanahan, for the entire Maple Leafs team and think, like, this could be a turning point because their fan base, no matter what the circumstances are, and they will be significant circumstances in that first round, if they don't get through, there will be bleep to pay. You're not getting a world beater in net, though, if you go and make a move. That's, that's the issue. I think Marc-Andre Fleury is... is is out there, but he's well, also a, a seven with? million dollar cap hit attached what are you willing to that. To part with? And what I mean, when you have expectations that are this high, I think at some point, especially with this core, you have to be willing to overpay to get something to shore, to shore up your goaltending. And, I, and believe me, two months ago, I sat in here and I said that Jack Campbell should be probably favored, or at least neck and neck with Shesterkin for the Vezina Trophy. Yeah. And I cannot believe that it's come to this. But it's a fact. Well, I just think that, like, there's something between the ears for Jack Campbell that he's got to get past. Uh, He wears too much on his sleeve. Yeah. And I think everyone kind of sort of knew that. And that's why there was a lack of confidence going into this year with Jack Campbell, even though he'd shown ridiculous numbers in Toronto. Yeah. And if you catch him at the right time, you, you could get yourself through a round with Jack Campbell. But... It seems as though he's too rattled by the losses. Like, I mean, that was, that was almost comical what was going on in Detroit mm-hmm. this weekend. It was. Um, so, Leafs are playing tonight, or taking on the Capitals in Washington. Vancouver mm-hmm. Canucks also playing tonight. And it was interesting 
my homies in Vancouver, both shows, Price and Sakaris and, and Donnie and Dolly, both put out polls today mm-hmm. asking their fan base whether or not they should be focused on the trade deadline or making the playoffs. Both of those radio shows' responses were about 70% focus on the deadline. If you're in Vancouver right now, Jesse, do you believe that playing for the future and not the playoffs is the way to go? Because we sat here and talked. The caveat here is Bo Horvat and our conversation with Bo Horvat last week where I asked him, does he feel like this group needs a go at it without COVID, without all of the bubble nonsense, without the terrible start to this year that they got their coach fired and he did take full responsibility for that. But do they, do they deserve a run as currently constituted given the way they played under Bruce Boudreaux? I think they do because I realize that they're going to have to play really good hockey over the stretch of the the rest of the regular season. But what the last two victories have shown me is that this team is capable of going on a pretty significant run here. And And I said this last week, JT Miller's a great hockey player. And the second that you trade him, that's it. You're, you're basically folding up shop. And I understand that you're going to get a lot for him, but he also has another year on his deal. So if this was the final year of his contract and we were sitting here and saying, okay, they're kind of in no man's land, that is when I would unload him. But he's still a very good hockey player, and he's a key to what you were doing. So I would go full steam ahead. They got the goaltending, and they're now playing what we thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year. I feel like the goaltending is covering up a lot of ills on this team. He's so good. But I'll say this. He is very good. I'll say this. When the Vancouver Canucks traded Trevor Linden, fan base is like, what the hell are we doing here? Like, this is Trevor Linden. I believe he was 27 years old when they traded Trevor Linden. Mm -hmm. And what they got back were Todd Bertuzzi, Brian McCabe, and a third-round pick. And that jump-started the greatest run in franchise history. Yeah. And sometimes it takes hard decisions like this, that when you're middling and you have something that – an asset. JT Miller is obviously a great player. He's on a good contract. He can help your team. But if he's not going to stay there long-term and he's not going to be there for when you believe you're actually going to turn that corner, hard question – then maybe this is a deal that you make. I mean, that's one that's going to probably shape their future for a long time. I want to be on the right side of that if I was Patrick Alvide. Hopefully, if you hold on to him, it's the right move. Oh, and this hopefully is, if you these, let him are, these are brass ones, but yeah. as we're about to talk about Masai Ujiri and the Toronto Raptors, it's exactly what they did. It, it really is. Right? Yeah. DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard altered the shape of their franchise forever. His reputation forever could have gone the other way. Yeah. It didn't. They won the championship. Uh, we could talk about the NHL and those teams all day long, but as you said, let's shift to the Toronto Raptors. They're in Brooklyn tonight for the first game of a back-to-back home-and-home series with the, I guess, revamped Brooklyn Nets. The Raps came out of the All-Star break with a pair of blowout losses in Charlotte and Atlanta Friday and Saturday. What do you take from those two just strange losses? No idea. Yeah. No bleeping idea. Other than Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet have not played well over the last little while, and it's translated into the Raptors. I mean, those are two average teams that absolutely whooped them. I mean, Charlotte's been terrible of late. Mm-hmm. Wasn't even close. Like, not even close. 
you look at the numbers over the last little while, and obviously the Raptors don't play well when Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam don't play well. Now ask yourself, why haven't Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam played well over the last little while? Are they tired from all the minutes that we spent two weeks talking about on this show? Or have other teams begun to figure out what it is the Raptors are doing? There's a lot of things that the Raptors are going to figure out the hard way. And the hard way is back-to-back against the Brooklyn Nets tonight and tomorrow as we relive the Goran Dragic era. I wonder if he'll suit up for these games. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and listen, look. Look at the schedule. So Thursday against uh, what always seems to be the toughest matchup in the NBA for the Toronto Raptors, despite their record, Dwayne Casey and the Detroit Pistons. Orlando isn't very good. Cleveland's better. So you got back-to-back against the Nets. Um, it's go time for this Raptors team. Okay, so you say it's go time. I want to ask you something. So we know that Fred VanVleet's knee is sort of bothering him here, and, and he has said, you know, it's a, it's a pain in the butt, and it seems like it's affected his defense. It's affecting his shooting. Pascal was under the weather a little bit, non-COVID-related illness. Would you think about sitting Fred over the next little stretch and hoping that he gets healthy? Because if, if he's not healthy, this team is not doing anything. Some load management. Some load management. I mean, the the Nets without Durant, who's not expected to play in either one of these games, and Kyrie Irving, who can't play because of his vaccine status in Toronto or Brooklyn as of right now, maybe one of these games, Freddie sits out, maybe there's some load management here, and you pick and choose your spots. But it's not as if the Raptors have a lot of leeway here. There's not a lot of rope to play with here. No. I mean, I just... I, there's no guarantee either that if Fred sits out for one or two games that it actually gets any better. But I just think that he's so critical to what this team is doing that if he's not going to be 100%, they need all systems going at all times to, to reach their potential. And health is, is a major key well, to that. And by all systems, you really mean Pascal, Freddie, Fred. Maybe OG maybe being Scotty. healthy would be helpful. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe Gary Trent having a game or two like we saw you know, a 30-piece here and there. Yeah, would be nice. Uh, okay, uh, Nick Nurse coming up at 6 Eastern. We'll hear more about, I'm sure, Fred Van Vliet's knee, Pascal, how he's feeling, etc. about the Raptors. But let's go to the L.A. Lakers, who were booed by their home fans last night during a 123-95 loss to the Pelicans. This L.A. is now is six games under 500, 10th place in the Western Conference standings. Is there a way to salvage this season that is quickly going south? Like, I've, history tells me to be very careful with the way you answer this. By the way, I love Los Angeles. Very good. Can I just, yeah, can I give her a crew? Some, some would say that's a spelling mistake. I, I looked over your shoulder. Yeah, those people would be idiots. Idiots. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Idiots. <laughs> Look, they spelled loss wrong. What a moron. Uh, the history of LeBron James tells me to be careful with this answer. Mm-hmm. The conversation you and I have had the entire year tells me it's over. Like, it's jammed done. They're not... Like, what happened last night against the Pelicans was either they want Frank Vogel to be... Fi- like, they want someone fired. They played like they want to be traded or they want someone fired. Because that's the only way you can explain having your ass handed to you by the New Orleans Pelicans. And there were some ugly, ugly plays. The yeah. DeAndre Jordan pass <laughs> was unbelievably bad. Ingram going back and doing what he did. Here's, here's 
Jordan <laughs> passing it to yeah. the Crap. first row, yeah. which has been pushed back because of COVID. Yeah, I mean, it, it's bad. It, whatever's happening. Do you think this is partly a revolt by the players in LeBron, maybe in particular, that they didn't do what or Rob Palenka didn't do what maybe he wanted at the trade deadline? There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that this is a revolt of some sort. Um, they're not good enough, but they're good enough to play with the New Orleans Pelicans. Yeah. And Anthony Davis, uh, he makes the NBA 75 anniversary team, but he can't stay healthy. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's been his M.O. this whole career. I know. Do you blame the player for that? No, I mean... I don't know what to do I, with it's, that. It's impossible to know. It's impossible to know. But Alex the, McKechnie falling around would probably be helpful, but other than that, I'm not <laughs> sure right. there's anything you can do. All right. Uh, still to come, we'll get Eric Smith's opinion on this. We'll also get Eric Smith's opinion on the Raptors' brutal weekend and a perfect weekend for Canada basketball. Ron McLean ahead of Rogers' hometown hockey. Justin Bourne on the Leafs and Caps, plus the Canucks' playoff push. And after the break, it's deadline day in baseball. Without a deal today, they've said games will be canceled. Is this just more posturing? Ben Nicholson-Smith will help us sort through the nonsense next. It's Tim and Friends on a Monday. Number, oh my God, Jack. If you're a goaltender, tap a goal! Michael Buntick's in, leads a martyr, scores, and the Leafs are in double digits. Plumley. Oh, look at Mason Plumley just destroyed Birch. Trey Young going to work. Man, is he fun to watch right now? He's got a 40 piece. We come out, we play like ass, and, and everybody wants to jump to conclusions. It is reckoned that from 12 yards, Kepa is the man. And now he must score. Kepa heaves it high. Still come Eric Smith, Ron McLean, Justin Bourne. Plenty of hockey talk, a little basketball sprinkled in. There is lots going on in the world right now. I am not going to lie. As hard as it is for Uncle Timmy to admit, there are a few blind spots. And one of them is the negotiations between Major League Baseball and the Players Association. Because quite frankly, I believe it to be all horse bleep. Here to help me out is Ben Nicholson-Smith of the At The Letters podcast and Sportsnet.ca. Welcome back to the show, Benny. Tim, it's good to be talking some baseball. I wish we were talking spring training. but We're not talking baseball. We are talking negotiations of baseball. It's undeniable. And, I mean, this is is the time of year that we should be talking about Shohei Otani and Fernando Tatis Jr. and Vlad Jr. It really is. All right, give me the latest before we get into what this all means. Tell me what I need to know from today, which was kind of sort of represented as a deadline day by Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball considers it a deadline. They're talking now with the players. Major League Baseball says that if there is no deal reached by today, then there would be canceled games. And with that, a drop in revenues and salaries for players. So the players don't necessarily view it that way, but that is the pressure from Major League Baseball. So right now, it's really crunch time for these two sides as they try to see if there is an agreement, but there's a lot of distance at this moment. Yeah, what are you hearing right now about those talks? 
Well, the players just have been very unimpressed with Major League Baseball. Some people describe them as angry. I've talked to players who are just really disappointed with the amount that Major League Baseball has been willing to give. I mean, this revenue has gone up progressively in Major League Baseball. The players are looking for a share of it. And Major League Baseball is budging very slowly, moving by 0.47%, 0.47% on the CBT, which is the most important topic for the players. So right now, not enough movement for the players to be close to a deal. Is this a made-up date or an actual pressure point? Well, Major League Baseball says it's a real pressure point, and the players say it's a made-up date. So really, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> right. And that's my problem with these things, is that what we hear is either one perspective or the other perspective. We're left to try and figure it out. And frankly, I don't have uh, the bandwidth to it, especially in this day and age, to attempt to figure this out, other than to say, here are a bunch of baseball players and owners bickering about something that they should just get done and get on the road. And I think especially for Blue Jays fans. I mean, we're talking about a team that did not play a single home game in Toronto in 2020. In 2021, they had a couple months, but limited capacity, missed the playoffs by the smallest of margins. Now they have this great team. Like, it's really a good team, and they don't presently have the chance to train for the season. I just think for Canadian baseball fans, for Blue Jays fans, for those players, it's such a missed opportunity. And to me, Major League Baseball is risking something here. The longer this goes on, they are risking a a bigger cost to this sport. I look at this post that we're showing from Bryce Harper where he asked the Murray Giants uh, if they're up and he has some time to kill and wonder if there's a less self-aware person on planet Earth than Bryce Harper. That's a clown post, bro. Um, But it seems as though there's a lot of self-awareness that's lacking from these conversations right now, especially given the temperature of the world. Do, Do the players and the owners understand that Major League Baseball fans are really upset at this? I think the players understand it. I think that the owners are looking through it and looking past it. Um, and, you know, nobody nobody expects that these talks would, would, would take precedence over anything else in the world. I mean, it's there's no question about that. But um, they are, as they do unfold, I think that for a lot of us to see these talks unfolding in the context of everything that's happening in the world right now, it's, it is it, it does really put them into perspective. Uh, separate um, facts from opinion here. I want your opinion. Do you feel like we're going to miss games here? Yes. I yeah. mean, yeah, I think so. And, and, and that's a change. I mean, I thought I was more optimistic recently, um, as recently as a couple of weeks ago. But you just see how this is unfolding. You hear the, the tenor and you hear the the rhetoric from Major League Baseball at this point with indications that they're not only willing to miss games, but potentially up to a month of missed games Within that context, and you look at the the movement, which has been very slow for Major League Baseball, they are not moving quickly. And the players are not going to take a deal that they don't think is fair. So at this point, I think we're missing games. So when when we sat here and had this very same conversation going into, uh, we'll call it the COVID season, and wondered when that was going to get started and understood that a lot of these Uh, talks that were taking place going into the COVID season were actually talks that were taking place for this very CBA that we're entering into now. Are, Are the two sides that far apart that not only are they willing to miss games, but they're willing to 
hurt what is the long-term health of the game? And, and there's no doubt it would hurt the long-term health. I mean, you think about, you know, what made you a baseball fan? What made most of us baseball fans? It's the games on the field. I don't know of a lot of people who, you know, came into baseball because they love CBA talks. Like, it's just <laughs> not the way it works, right? We want to see these players. They are so good. They are so talented at what they do. Freddie Freeman's still out there in free agency. Carlos Correa. We want to see those guys sign. We want to follow that. And that's what's what's good for the sport. So, you know... I, I think there is a big gap right now. The owners have barely moved and the players I think would be willing to miss games. I mean, that's, that's what I've been told is they would be willing to miss games in lieu of taking a deal. That's very, very one-sided toward the owners because they tried that last time. And and last CBA, the owners absolutely destroyed the players. Everyone knows that, but the players don't want to do that again and again. So we're in a spot now where both sides re-entered negotiations at around 5 p.m. Eastern time? Yeah, so ongoing talks now, and you know these next seven hours are, are that last window, if you ask Major League Baseball. All right, so uh, you mentioned Freddie Freeman. If we, if we walk away from these negotiation talks for a split second, um, we had heard these rumors around Freddie Freeman and a week ago, I put his name into Google, and I saw the, the regular suspects, the usual suspects, the Dodgers and the Yankees. Are the Jays actually in on Freddie Freeman once we get back to business? I wouldn't say they're in. I wouldn't say they're totally out because he's too good of a player, and they do have money. I mean, we've seen them spend a $100 million contract after a $100 million contract, so they have money. They've really set themselves up so well with respect to their roster and the flexibility that they have. So he's an option for them. They're not going to rule it out. But, you know, to me, this is not the perfect fit when you're talking about a team that already has one of the best first basemen in baseball. So I just think they're going to stay involved. They're going to not close that door. But the Yankees, the Dodgers, potentially even the Red Sox, and obviously Atlanta, I mean, these are teams that have a stronger need, potentially more money to spend, and they don't have the best one of the best first basemen in baseball already on their roster. Just for those who are asking at home right now, is there any chance that Vladdy went back to third base? I don't see it. I mean, never say never. It's, you know, stranger things have happened. I, I don't see it. I think at this point, he's mostly a first baseman. It would be a big ask. Like, he, he's already taken so many strides in the last couple of years. So I think even if in this scenario, and I think it's a small scenario, but in the scenario that they get Freddie Freeman, I think it's more shared time at first base DH. And then you figure out third base with Espinal, Biggio, and potentially a newcomer. All right, just when the uh, Miami Marlins feel like they are a stable franchise that might be moving in the right direction, they go ahead and totally redeem themselves. What's going on with Jeter walking away from the Marlins? Uh, Yeah, I want to know. I mean, I think there's more to this story, clearly. It sounds like their visions didn't align, uh, but anytime. You know, Derek Jeter, one of the greatest players in, in my lifetime, just walks away from a franchise. Uh, you know, you want to know what's what's happening there. So I'll, I'll be honest, Tim, I don't know a whole lot more than what's out there publicly, but it right. certainly opened my eyes. Uh, Benny, always great catching up with you. Uh, I know I'm a little uh, I'm a little cynical about all these negotiations, about all these ploys where whoever talks to who gets that side out and this side out. Uh, I just hope that you and I can talk some baseball soon. I hope to see you in a sunny climate, like just in a warm, 
comforting. It feels like spring training is like, you know, the walkway to spring here in Canada and summer coming on its way. I need to get you when the birds are chirping and the sun is shining and you're wearing a golf shirt. That sounds like a deal to me. I mean, I'm all there for that. And in the meantime, I think for anyone who's cynical, I get it. I mean, it's a, it's a tough time, and hopefully they do reach a deal. Uh, here, here. Thanks, Ben. Thanks. Uh, there's Ben Nicholson-Smith joining us from the Nicholson-Smith compound in the greater Toronto area. You I hear chuckle. the angst in your voice. Is that what you're laughing at? Like, yeah. Uh, how I, I, yeah. Well, no, but I've been through, like, three or four of these <laughs> now in a bunch of different sports, and you... The reporters who talk to the owners give you one side. The reporters who talk to the players give you another side. The truth lies somewhere in the middle, and we're left to play this game all good talks, not so good talks. We're going to actually lose games. Until you get into the point where you're actually losing games, there is no pressure point on either one of the. Maybe there's some money to be made in spring training. But just follow the cash. Like, if they can still get 162 in, which they can tomorrow, like, if they work something out at the end of the week, you think they're not playing 162? It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And it's just to hear this stuff, the same things over and over and over again, not only do you become cynical, you start calling BS. And that's what this is. It's, it's BS. And I almost didn't say BS. You guys are so mad. Yeah, so yeah it's ridiculous. Go. But it's the same thing over and over and over. All right, time for a break. When we come back, this is the same thing over. The return of the plays of the week. You didn't ask for it, but we're bringing it back anyways. We'll see how it goes. The PO Dubs are back. Monday, fun day. I mean, coming up, Monday, fun day. Last week on Tim and Friends, the GT Snow Racer scandal hit very hard with one Jesse Rubinoff. I did not know what a GT snow racer was initially. Yeah. After a Google and a little bit of a thought. A thought. He realized he had a GT snow racer when a, growing up. As a up. kid, yeah. I thought so. But you just Still not clarified, but. You just didn't, uh, you just didn't call it a GT snow I didn't know what it was. I, didn't, I didn't, wasn't like sitting at home and being like, oh, can I please have a GT snow racer? I was like, that looks like a cool sled. Like, why don't we get that oh privilege people just um, reeking of privilege people put <laughs> people put this on the same like uh level as like poutine or beaver tails or something that's like pure canadiana Canadian. yes without it's like a, a doubt. gt snow it's like up there it's like oh okay then <laughs> that's my bad i guess uh, Vinny said uh, tweeted in about 18 minutes ago Jesse, over the weekend. <laughs> How do you do, fellow GT snow riders? <laughs> Such good Did work. Did you go GT snow racing over the weekend? No, I, I actually, uh, in my in-laws, they have one in the uh, garage. Oh, nice. Broken. 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 Too old. So I almost went, but no. All right. Uh, speaking of too old, you're never too old for our next segment. It used to be a Tim and Sid tradition going back to the days of Scored Night in the early 2000s when Sid, Cabby, and I would gather for the Tuesday traditions. Plays of the Week and Cabby on the Street. And while we always wanted to bring the plays to Sportsnet with us, the most electrifying and jaw-dropping plays didn't always translate to radio. Like, it's kind of hard to see on the radio, Jesse. But now that we're no longer on the radio... It's time to run it back. That's right. What's old is new again. The P.O. Dubs make their triumphant return. So, Jesse, shall we mosey on over to the 98 and allow me to reintroduce 
the PO dubs for your viewing pleasure. Back like Jordan wearing the 4-5, but it ain't to play games with you. It's to aim at you. And from a galaxy far, far away, we give you the best of the best from the week that was and maybe the worst. That's right. It's the plays of the week. And I know, I know, that's not Jesse dancing in the middle. We'll show him a little later. I can't believe it either. So get those dancing shoes. There's Jesse right there in the middle with the curly locks. I'm doing that to start tomorrow's show. <laughs> oh, look at Jesse. All right. Uh, Canada, Jesse, it's time to play how many games? That's a blindside hit, is it not? I've, I've tried that, but you tried that no, before? No, looks like a lot of fun. Uh, not really. No? No. In honor of our guy Sid, we would be remiss if we didn't have some diving. This one's actually a good one, though. Check this out. Off of the girder that and very down. That's uh, To the hard court. And before we get to anything else, like, have you ever seen anything like this wizardry right here from... Your boy Steph this Curry. is why I said he's the most entertaining show in all sports because this is the warm-up. It's the most entertaining thing that happened in sports that night. That might have been the most amazing thing that I've ever seen on a court, and I'm dead serious. <laughs> this is pretty good. Jason Tatum going through the Brooklyn Nets on Andre Drummond. Don't worry. Drummond would get his response, and I like guys who contest anyway. And he got it on Giannis Attentacumpo. Get that weak shot out of here. Says Andre Drummond. All right. Do we need to call John Morant the human highlight reel part two electric boogaloo? Every time he dunks, his head is at the rim. Literally every single... Look at it. Look, there it is. His dreads seem to touch the rim. I'm with you. Two of his 46 that night. The best assist that wasn't an actual assist goes to Nikola Jokic. You got to hit that. <laughs> On that pass, <laughs> you got to hit MVP that. MVP in my books. Uh, Xavier Providence, triple OT was crazy. We can't show you every play, but this went viral. Dwan Odom with the crossover. You saw that, but perhaps you didn't see this. There was a leak in the roof <laughs> that actually caused a one-hour stoppage. No one talked about it. The clip went viral. The internet doesn't care about the truth, Jesse. No, you don't see that on social media. You see none of that. Only the, the cross. Uh, dad hack, it's been two weeks without football. How do you get football? Well, you remove teeth. Or teeth. <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't see that the first time. Oh, it was time to return football. I didn't and it. it's gone. Oh, my. The football of another kind. Chelsea's U18 squad, Harvey Vale. Get used to that name. That is left footed, oh, too. I mean, maybe he's a left footed. Copa Libertadores is where we go next. Alejandro Silva. Meg. Mantilla was bumping and trying to grind through. Oh, another good opportunity. The chance to shot! Olympia take the lead 1-0. Just a series of poor, poor defensive play. Did you ever play Salad growing up? No. Good. Honda Classic Curtis Thompson looking like a... Young Golf. Jesse Rubinoff. Golf. Let's go. From the fairway. And eventually, right in the clown's mouth. We're going to have to clean up that divot, though. Uh, more important. Cut or uncut the visor, Jesse. Nah, that's <laughs> cut. That was uncut in the 90s. <laughs> in the 90s? Yeah. From the grass to the ice, Mitch Marner. Glorious assisting. This time to Michael Bunting. Ducks and Sharks. How about Ricky Raquel? Your boy. <laughs> Ricky Raquel, poor James Reimer. How many moves? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's that's short side roof on the back end. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Oof. 
Uh, this is Coyotes Jets Barrett Hayden. Looking like Connor McDavid. Am I wearing x-ray glasses? Are we seeing jocks all over? The skill is on another level these days. Not the first time we've seen it from Hayden. How about this? Canada-Russia series back in 2018. Is this the same move? Oh, my goodness. What happens to the, the teammates in practice? Like, he's probably done that to the defenseman in practice numerous times over the years. All right, we got to end in style with that crazy Leafs wings 10-7 affair. Leaf fans handling it with grace and serenity. Right, Mr. Dangle? Number, oh, my God, Jack. Biggest question was, that was at 6-2. What happened at 7-1 in the third period when it got to uh, 7-6 in a hurry? You know, you know it's bad when you're getting pulled when your team's winning the game. And I feel bad for him. I was a hockey goalie. You're a oh, soccer goalie. Without a doubt. That's when, tough. When you get pulled and the team wins. Didn't you say you got shelled in your uh, men's league game oh, in soccer? Man, the other day? Did I, get shelled? I'm, <laughs> I don't I'm know stoked. if I was supposed to make that public. Uh, time for, no, everyone knows. <laughs> everyone that matters. Uh, this is busy second hour on tap. We'll talk Raptors, Eric Smith, and check in with Ron McLean ahead of Rogers Hometown Hockey. And after the break, our boy Justin Bourne stops by. And we will talk about that lifting that scoring. By the way, Marner on fire. Yeah, the quietest four goals of all time. <laughs> uh, by the way, are the Canucks ready to deal? We'll ask Bourne if that's a good move next. Sheepdogs back here, hour number two on Simon Friends, full hour on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360. Before handing you off to Ron McLean and Rogers Hometown Hockey on Sportsnet, we'll tee up the Leafs and the Caps, the Canucks and the Devils with Ron and Justin Bourne. So do yourself a favor, lay the remote down. We got you covered. But first, the latest in the sports world's response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And there has been a lot to date. So here's what's going on at this hour. The IIHF has suspended Russia and Belarus from all international hockey competitions until further notice and stripped Russia as host of the 2023 World Junior Championships. FIFA, who were criticized for light measures yesterday when they announced have reversed course and banned Russia, meaning they are suspended from World Cup qualifying and they were scheduled to play in the playoffs in late March. But Poland, Sweden, among others, had already refused to play them, so having the guts that FIFA didn't have, then FIFA somehow found those guts. And the IOC released a statement encouraging the exclusion of all Russian athletes from all international events. That is an unbelievable turn of the tides for two federations in the IOC and FIFA who had been longtime bedmates of Vladimir Putin. Meantime, NHL released a statement a short time ago saying that the National Hockey League condemns Russia's invasion 
of Ukraine and urges a peaceful resolution as quickly as possible, effective immediately. We are suspending our relationships with business partners in Russia and we are pausing our Russian language social and digital media sites. In addition, we are discontinuing any consideration of Russia as a location for any future competitions involving the NHL. The statement goes on to say, we also remain concerned about the well-being of the players from Russia who play in the NHL on behalf of their NHL clubs and not on behalf of Russia. We understand that they and their families are being placed in in an extremely difficult position. We, of course, will continue to monitor this developing story. So the NHL weighing in in support of their constituency. Meanwhile, Toronto Raptors start a stretch of four games in five nights as they face Goran Dragic and the Nets in Brooklyn. Raptors lost two games badly over the weekend to face a Nets squad without Durant, Kyrie, or Ben Simmons. As for the Raptors, OG Ananobi remains out while Freddie Van Vliet listed as questionable on today's injury report. Nick Nurse scheduled to speak to the media in mere moments. We will keep you updated and discuss with Eric Smith shortly. The Leafs are in D.C. to face Alexander Ovechkin and the Caps. See it on Sportsnet, Sportsnet 1, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time after a wild 10-7 win over the Wings Saturday night. Leafs turn to Peter Mrazek in net today. Jack Campbell was pulled with the Leafs leading on Saturday and spoke to the media today about his recent struggles. For me, it's simple. I mean, I'm the same goalie I was to start the year um, as far as strategy and talent and things like that. It's just, you know, just relaxing, having some fun and um, not beating myself up too much. So I'm still working. Uh, you know, it's a process. But, you know, like I said, I have great people in my life, great teammates, and, uh, you know, I'll snap out of it. Hey, things meanwhile, the Canucks look for a fourth straight win. As they face the Devils in New Jersey tonight. Oddly, they've lost 11 straight games against Jersey. You can see it on Sportsnet Pacific, 430 Pacific, 730 Eastern. The Canucks are now 18-7-4 under Bruce Boudreaux and have vaulted themselves into playoff contention. Just three points out starting tonight. Quinn Hughes will face his brother Jack, and Boudreaux had high praise for Quinn earlier today. He wants to be the best. And I think in the same question of penalty killing, he said, listen, McCarr does it and Fox does it. And um, uh, I want to be in that category and I want to do it. So, you know, that, uh, you know, he, you know, that right off the bat that he wants to be the best at what he can be at, as a defenseman all the time. And uh, he, he's been playing like it. All right, so three games in the NHL tonight, two involving Canadian teams. Bruce Boudreaux and the Canucks are in Jersey to take on the Devils. The Leafs are in Washington to take on the Capitals. Here to discuss that and more is Justin Bourne of the NHL on Sportsnet, who joins me now. Bourne, what's going on, buddy? Long time no see. I know, not too much. I feel like I must have done something wrong. It's been forever. (laughs) It's been too long. You also have another gig Monday to Friday uh, for a couple hours a day. So I I understand how you might be a little (laughs) bit busy. So we got the two games tonight. Which which of those two teams is more intriguing to you? And I know it's like asking to choose between your kids, but Canucks, Leafs, where do you want to start? I'll give you the option. You know, I I think I've just been talking about the Leafs so much, it's impossible not to fixate on them. Um, You know, what an insane Saturday night hockey game. And, you know, we started uh, Real Kipper and Bourne today and then asked the question, like, can you even learn anything about the Leafs from that game? Like, can you take, take, you know, you hear the coach go, ah, we just wash it, you know, flush that game like it never happened. 
But, you know, it doesn't seem like those sort of games happen to the Nashville Predators or to, you know, any other team. It's always the Leafs, right? Ten goals and, you know, giving up a big lead. So, you know, I don't know what, what to take away exactly aside from this is a unique team, a very, very talented team. And it's still, you know, same old question marks that you're like, but something about me about it all scares me just a little bit right now, probably the goaltending. So I thought John O'Grodnick was going to score halfway through that third period because we had taken it back to the 80s there, and it was unbelievable uh, watching these two teams go back and forth. But Jesse and I have been having this conversation ongoing basically since they blew a lead in Colorado, and that is if you win games but do it in ugly fashion and do the things that you know that you um, can't do in the postseason, do you begin to worry? Do you think that Kyle Dubas... And Brendan Shanahan are talking about adding more than just a defenseman, perhaps even a goaltender. You know, I'm sure you have the conversation. You're not doing your job if you don't sit down and say, how worried about this are we? But, you know, I, I feel like with the goaltending situation, look around the NHL and look at the top contending teams and tell me who's comfortable about their goaltending that isn't the Tampa Bay Lightning. They have Vasilevsky. Do you want Sergei Bobrovsky in Florida? You're sure? Carolina has Freddie Anderson. I think we've seen how that movie plays itself out. I mean, you go through the teams and it's like, I don't know, is Vegas really comfortable with Robin Leonard? It's, you know, Tristan Jari's the guy in in Pittsburgh. It's, you know, all these teams have chances, but that's the nature of the position. What you have, what you hope to have as a team is a guy who has a good career showing, a guy that you trust. And Jack Campbell, I know, you know, not a starter for long in the NHL, but He's played 125 games with a 917 save percentage. You trust that he's pretty good. Peter Mrazek's a 910 over a pretty long career. Right now, they're not going. They don't look good. I do feel like just as likely as any other team that these guys can pull it together and be really good goaltenders. You know, when it comes down to playoffs, you just cross your fingers and go, let us be the team that wins the goaltending lottery this time of the year. You know, it's funny because uh, you talk about the goalies and you've seen kind of the ebbs and flows of both of these guys. And when I interviewed Kyle Dubas before the year, I asked him how you've shored up that spot. And he talked about team defense. And it's always stuck in the back of my head that the Leafs are just better when they play team defense. But when they're missing significant pieces and or the forwards decide ah, today's the game where I go forward instead of going back, like they're extremely susceptible. It's, it's almost as if they can never get loose. But we've seen it a hundred times before. The teams that don't get loose win in the postseason. Yeah, you know, there there's... No denying that with the core of this team and just the way that their personnel is, the temptation and just general inclination is to yeah. go forward, as you mentioned. They want to go you know, get the puck. They want to score goals. That's the type of team that they naturally are. So Sheldon Keith's job is to say, like, listen, if you prioritize defense and you're on the right side of guys and you're above guys, the chances will come and that we're good enough to finish when we get chances. The Leafs don't have to create more chances than the next team to win. They have enough talent that they can finish on their chances at a higher rate. They just have to not let stuff go the other way. Now, I don't know if Saturday night's the greatest example of stuff going the other way. That's terrible goaltending to me. Yeah. Puck's going through your goalie, so yeah. I don't know if you want to hold that up as the, the example of the team I'll give you that. not defending well. But, yeah. but it is. It is the tendency of the Leafs, so... It's Sheldon's job. Got to get him in check because they will be able to create even if they prioritize defense. 
my homies on the west side, Donnie and Dolly, Sakaris and Price, both did polls on their accounts respectively today on what the Canucks should focus on, the playoffs or the deadline. And both got from the fans, it's time to look at making this team better by doing what you have to do at the deadline, talking about the future as, a, as opposed to the push to the playoffs. Do you agree? Yeah, you know, in my heart of hearts, I agree. Like, the Canucks don't seem to me to be built to win a Stanley Cup either sooner or later. <laughs> you know, like, I don't think if they go all in for this year that they're going to be a cup contender. I don't know that they have guys that you say, yeah, we're going to build around, you know, Patterson's a guy. He's a definite guy. But, like, how many teams in the league have guys? You know, Quinn Hughes is a guy. Demko's a guy. So you got three guys. Pretty good. Pretty good. But, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done. But I guess the answer the fans are telling the team is the correct one and that if you don't think you can win, even if you push all your chips in soon, then what's the point? You know, it's not, you know, sometimes on our show, uh, you know, Kiprios will say, you know, Nashville may need to go in to appease that market or these smaller market teams need to, to go all in when they're close. That's not the Canucks. You know, they're able to have some, you know, fans that know the game and play the long game, try to win down the road. So it's the right answer, I think, to prioritize the deadline. You hate to ever give up on a guy like whether it be JT Miller or Connor Garland, two scrappy, talented guys. But, yeah, if you're going to prioritize long-term, they're not going to be there. So a uh, little bit more pain in the future in the short term. Uh, it makes a little bit of sense if you, you're thinking it'll be good in three or four years rather than this one. Does it surprise you to hear that, though, given that they're 18-7-4 under Bruce Boudreaux? It does. It, you know, what's so unfortunate is you would have loved to have seen this team from the start of the year. Yes. I was on record, you know, uh, as it seen the Canucks as a playoff team this Me year. Too. I bet on that bounce back and, and base that on personnel. They have the horses. And I like Travis Green as a coach, but, you know, they. it seems like things got a little negative around there. And, um, you know, some of those sort of interpersonal battles that play out between coaches and, and players – just lingered. So Boudreaux coming in as a fresh voice and, um, you know, knowing how positive he is, got things going in the right direction. It's great. But yeah, they were just in like too deep a hole almost. They have to go on such an unbelievable run to contend. It would be interesting to see, you know, could they able to be able to stay in the fight with this Boudreaux mentality, even if they moved off a guy or two? You know, I guess it's possible. The Pacific's pretty weak. It just it really is unfortunate that we, we never got to find out what this team could be because, you know, they got off to such a horrific start, and now Boudreaux's like, look how good we're doing, but it's too late. Uh, it wasn't just the Canucks that some people uh, thought could get into the postseason. How about the Winnipeg Jets? What's your take on what's going on there? You know, there's something going on with the forward group to me. Like, uh, the D has it has some issues, but there's something going on in that group that feels like, you know, rot. Like, it just feels like things are negative – Almost since like they got eliminated from the playoffs, Shifley got suspended for that big hit. He was very combative with the media. Um, and it felt like there was some negativity there and justifying how they got swept in the next round. And then Wheeler's kind of aged out of his prime. Connor scores but doesn't defend particularly well. Like There's all these things that you like about the team. We know that they have lots of talent. But there's just, again, it seems to be like a rot where Paul Maurice looked around and just said, I don't think I can fix this like this. There are some deep rooted issues here. And I think he sniffed those out and didn't want to be a part of whatever that direction was. I would love someday to hear Paul Maurice on the record, what he really felt about this team at the time of walking away. um, Because it does feel like something's just not right there. I don't know how to fix it. You know, whether it's leadership or internal or relationships or what things just don't seem right there. 
All right, so before I let you go, we got a few uh, folks that work on this show that like to sprinkle every once in a while, uh, get in on the betting game, and they've been watching uh, Justin Bourne <laughs> online of late and have been uh, greatly impressed. Are you on anything tonight that anyone needs to know about at this juncture in time? Because I know that you're <laughs> screwing bets here and there, and people are like, what the hell happened here and what the hell happened there? You were on the Oilers under yesterday. That was a pretty good yeah. call in a 2-1 game. You got anything for us? Uh, maybe? Yeah, well, you know, anytime you can bet an under on the Toronto Maple Leafs, you kind of have to like it. I think uh, it's around, I think you get around even odds right now to bet the under on the Leafs. And I know they just gave up seven and scored 10. Yes. But you know what the coach said between those games? <laughs> Do the opposite. Yeah. And you know what he said to the goaltenders? Do better or you're gone. You know, like this is a, they'll prioritize tightening things up, being on the right side. And on the other side of things, I think Washington's a pretty good team and, and doesn't play overly loose. So I, I lean that way a little bit. But a little gambling hack, too, is betting against the Leaf, Leafs always pays. Because, you know, they're a good team and, and there's the biggest population betting on them. So Toronto, betting on the Leafs, you never get paid great. Uh, Washington at home, pretty good team. Something to look at. Not that anyone listening to me in Canada here wants to bet against the Leafs. Not a terrible idea to it, consider it. It does seem like value that Washington is home dogs to the Toronto Maple yeah. Leafs tonight. Uh, and they're home dogs, and they're what like a 600 winning percentage team. That's probably going to get better now that they're getting healthy. Yeah, without a doubt, uh, it does seem like a little bit of value, Mr. Bourne. Uh, been too long. Great catching up with you, buddy. Yeah, you too, buddy. Anytime. Uh, there is the co-host of the Real Kipper and Bourne. Get it wherever you get your fine podcasts. All right, time for another quick break. Uh, when we come back, tough weekend for the Raptors as they get blown out in Charlotte and Atlanta. What's the level of concern as they head into a busy week with four games in five nights? What's the health situation for four games in five nights? We'll discuss Eric Smith out of there back-to-back with the Nets next on Tim and Friends. Crucial games against the teams right behind you in the standings. Set the tone here early. Plumley. Oh, look at Mason Plumley just destroyed Birch. Martin drives the baseline and lays it in. The Raptors putting up little resistance right now as they turn it over. And Kelly Oubre Jr. gets a showtime dunk. Regroup and try to get one back tomorrow night in Atlanta. The Raptors still clinging to a one-point lead. Trey Young knocks down the sidestep jumper. He's starting to become a problem, guys. Trey Young going to work. Man, is he fun to watch right now? He's got a 40 piece. Atlanta wins this one 127 100. Come out, we play like ass, and, and everybody wants to jump to conclusions. Write what you will. I, I believe in this team. I think we'll be back. Like ass. Not <laughs> ideal. Raptors post all-star break got off to a rough start this weekend. A look to turn it around. Starting tonight in Brooklyn, no Simmons Irving for the Nets. No KD, though they hope he will return later this week. He won't play in the home-and-home versus Toronto. Raptors actually favored by four points tonight. Freddie Van Vliet not likely to play. Nick Nurse said of Fred's injured knee, he's been more sore than before. Also didn't have an update on OG Ananobi. I have an update on Eric Smith. He is joining me now from the Smith Compound, I believe, in Burlington, Ontario. Smitty, welcome back to Tim and Friends. 
Good to see you. Good to see you. What the hell went on this weekend? I know. Listen, we're going to get into uh, you doing other work this weekend on Canada basketball. Fine job, my friend, along with Javon Shepard. But let's start with the Raptors. What the hell? Do you remember those old uh, like commercials? And I'm, I'm really dating myself here. Anybody that's like, I don't know, 20 or younger won't remember this. But you remember when you actually have to have like long distance phone plans? <laughs> yes. So I'm, I'm, I'm shouting out a company here that I don't think exists any longer, Timmy. But 1010220. So, so Just Jones and long I distance. Often, yeah, now exactly, it's called you know? FaceTime. <laughs> yeah, punch the code in before you had to call, like, and, and, you know, you had to worry about your minutes and all that stuff. <laughs> so Jonesy and I, years ago, and it shows how old we possibly are, we used to talk about 10-10-62. That's how we break up the NBA season. Right. There are 10 games, no matter what happens, you are just in your bag. Everything is going your way, and you are not going to lose. It doesn't matter who the opponent is. It doesn't matter what defense is thrown at you. You are winning that game. There are 10 games where it doesn't matter what happens, you are losing. You are not going to make a shot. The rim could be 1,000 feet wide. You are not hitting anything, and you are going to get hammered. It's those 62 games. That's where your season is decided, Timmy. Those 62, what's your record in those 62? Now, I was ready to chalk up Friday night against the Hornets as one of those 10. One of those 10. First game back after the break. Guys trying to come back into the mix. And and you know what? I'm ready to write that one off because we haven't seen the Raptors really throttled a whole lot this season. In fact, I believe Toronto is the number one. If they're not number one, they're definitely top two or three in the entire league. In games, three points or less, two minutes to go. They've had over 20 games. More than a third of their schedule mm-hmm. has come down to three points or less in the final two minutes of the game. So we haven't seen, as I say, them get throttled much. But then Saturday against Atlanta, anybody that goes, well, hold on a second, Eric. If Friday was one of those 10, (laughs) what was Saturday? And I would say Saturday was a loss. Saturday was one of those ones in the 62. You lost that game because if you recall, if you actually stuck with it or you were with it and then stayed around for a little bit of the second half, they were in that game in the first half. Like they had a lead. They gave up the lead. They scratched and clawed for a little bit. And then Atlanta started to pull away a little bit towards half and obviously dominated the second half of that ball game. But that was, to me, a different script, Timmy, than what we saw on Friday. Friday was a write-off from the get-go. Two minutes into the game, it was over. Toronto's buried by 10, 12 points in the first, you know, three, four minutes of the ball game. Saturday, they showed some fight. That was, to me, just a loss. But it's concerning, and I see you throwing the numbers up right there. It's absolutely concerning when you come back from the break with two losses and combine that with what happened before the break where you followed up your extended win streak with a narrow loss to the uh, to the Denver Nuggets, but then getting blown out by the Pelicans. And now you're starting to go, hold on a second. Mm-hmm. It's not just two straight. It's four of the last five. And there is reason for concern there, Timmy. Right. Very, very long-winded answer to your what the hell happened. No, and, and I, I understand all of it. My, my follow-up immediately, though, is when you mention those 62 and how many of them have come down to three points or less under two minutes to go, my mind immediately goes to all those minutes that have been racked up by Freddie Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes. Could that be what's catching? I know you're not around the team as much as you normally would be in non-COVID times, but from what you're hearing in and around the team, how much of this is just uh, a wear and tear that is kind of sort of catching up to the squad? Uh. 
I think part of it is, I, I mean, I think it'd be foolish to say that it's not at least a, a part of a factor. It's just a matter of maybe debating or, or discussing how much of a factor, Timmy, because I would say the competitor in all of this, I, you know, whether you're a weekend warrior, whether you played high school, college, university, pro, semi-pro, don't you want to be out there? And I don't think it's any different for the pros, right? They, they want to be out there. And I, I'm more of the, maybe I'm old school in this way of thinking, Timmy, but I, I kind of tend to think that if I'm going to be in uniform and I'm going to play, then I want to play. And you know what? I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility in today's day and age where the travel parties for most of these NBA teams include 17 assistant coaches and 14 trainers and, and any number of specialists and, and therapists and nutritionists and everything else. I don't think it's too much to ask to uh, have a finely tuned professional athlete fire it up for three hours, four to five days a week. As long as there's not a lot of practice and there's a whole lot of maintenance in between, I don't think it's a major ask. That said, I will acknowledge that the schedule right now for the Raptors is a bear. Four games in five nights, five games in seven nights. That's to me where, yes, to your point, the minutes mm -hmm. could start to rack up a little bit. And how much has that played a factor into some of the bumps and bruises and whatnot that the Raptors are experiencing? I think it'd be foolish to say that it's not at least a portion of the equation. I'm more of the weekend warrior type than the uh, pro type, Smitty. But even then, I often had to be saved for myself. Right? Right. Like, and, and sometimes when you look at NBA players, I think, yes, Freddie Van Vliet really wanted to go to an NBA All-Star game. And he wasn't going to ask out of any of those games, especially when he was putting up monster numbers. But sometimes, sometimes in order for the long run, for the big picture, sometimes you have to save them from themselves because they are extremely high-level competitors. And that's where I lie on that. I don't want to let you go without talking about Canada basketball. They remain perfect in World Cup qualifying. I know you called two games over the weekend, one a little closer than the other. What's the biggest takeaway from Canada leading a group where they only need to finish top three out of four? Uh, biggest takeaway was that they handled the pressure on, on Saturday in that game against Dominican Republic. Uh, down in Santo Domingo, the place was almost full. The crowd in, in, in a tiny gym right on top of you. Uh, they handled the officials. The, I mean, the free throw differential oh at one God. point. At the end of the game, it, it was still a bad number. I don't even remember what the end of the game number was. But at one point late in the game, it was 40 to 8. Yeah. 40 to 8 in terms of free throw attempts. The fact that the Canadians withstood all of those sort of side things that could have impacted them, I think that was huge. And also the fact that they just kind of showed off their depth not only in their front court, I think the front court is strong overall, Tim, mm -hmm. but the back court, right before tip-off on Saturday, they found out that Kenny Cherry was out due to health and safety protocols. And he was a key piece, I would argue, back in November uh, in those two victories over Bahamas. And to lose Cherry right before tip-off uh, to health and safety protocols and then not have him on Sunday, uh, Bell Haynes stepped up, uh, Kajami Keene stepped up, um, certainly Aaron Best as well. It just shows the depth that Canada has. And we're not even talking about any of the NBA guys. So, I think we're seeing more and more, really, again, that depth of talent that Canada has and that they can go deep into the well when needed. And that's, to me, what impressed me more than anything. Uh, this is CONCACAF soccer, America's basketball at its best. Uh, Dominican Republic took 44 free throws. Canada had 16 free throws. And this is supposed to be a bubble. So Canada was actually the home team in that game against the Dominican Republic played in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. Well, and you said 16. So eight of those 16 came in the last, <laughs> I want to say, three minutes of the game when, yeah. when the Dominicans were trying to foul to try and extend the game and get themselves back into it. But at right. one point, it was 40 to eight. It was, it was abysmal. Ridiculous. And somehow Canada fought through. Like, take a look at how many 
free throw misses the Dominicans had. That game could have very easily been a loss for Canada because of the free throw line. Honest to goodness, you and I could shoot better free throws than the Dominican Republic shot on that day. 100%. Unbelievable. I mean, 100% Uh, we would have. I wouldn't shoot 100%. We wouldn't shoot 100%, yeah. I'm going to shoot around 65, but that would have been probably second (laughs) on the Dominican Republic. Uh, Appreciate your time, as always. Next window uh, coming up for Canada early July. So we'll see maybe some NBA players getting a little tune-up at that time. And some rumblings, nothing confirmed, nothing confirmed, but some rumblings that those two games may be in Canada. These two games were supposed to be in Canada, but because of all the COVID issues and travel and whatnot, they were stuck back down uh, in Santo Domingo. And there's some rumblings that Canada may be the host for those two games in the summer. Good. Uh, Smitty, great catching up with you. Thanks for doing this. All right. Always good. Thanks. There is Eric Smith. Uh, You can hear him on Sportsnet 590, the fan. You can see him on Sportsnet. Uh, You can read him on Sportsnet. All right, it is the last day of February, meaning Black History Month is coming to a close. But as we've tried to relay over the past month, over the past years on the show, the fight for justice and equality is every day and an every month cost for everyone. We do want to acknowledge, though, just how important it is to chase your dreams. Spoken word poet Moyo Omole recites this poem, I Dream Because I Can, featuring the Canadian National Basketball Program. I dream because I can. In the darkest hour, I dream about what my life could become, whether I could achieve the unattainable or change recourse and stand tall amongst giants. Who can stop greatness? I am a force to be reckoned with, unstoppable, and my dreams transcend beyond any sport. Time waits for no one, and I I am next in line. On this court, my dreams become activated while I move from left to right and I remind myself that this was all a dream. Nothing short of a dream that many thought was inconceivable. Look at me now. Look at us. We stand in line waiting to be announced. My dream is now. I play because I can without permission. My time is now. As a Mortal human being, you cannot tell me that it's impossible to break ceilings. The sky refuses to contain my greatness, and the sun shines on every court that I stand on. As the whistle blows and the game starts, my eyes locked in on time. I must officiate with integrity, fairness, decisiveness, and sound judgment. This is my court, our court. Sound the alarm and let all know that I officiate because I once dreamed. And I dream because I can is an anthem. We are supreme. Let's sing the national anthem. I am the head coach, the Goliath in every battle. We refuse to be defeated. We refuse to play like those that are frightened. My dream for the team started on every court that reminded me that my color does not inhibit our greatness. Color does not stop you from recognizing the team that refuses to lose in any battle. I run my game, not because I stand amongst giants, but because I allowed myself to dream. And I dream without any censorship because sky is the limit for those who choose to break invincible boundaries. I coach because I can is not a slogan stolen from any book you can ever read. It's my anthem. Shout aloud so that they can hear it. And if you can hear it, tell them we fear no one because this court is ours. Let the dreamers assemble. Our time is now. We dream 
Because we can. Great job by Moyo Mole and, of course, Joe Pack, who put that together. All right, uh, before we go to break, we've got some breaking news. We do? We do. Sources telling Daily Faceoffs Frank Saravelli that the Chicago Blackhawks have decided on a GM. And after all of the uh, very interesting names mm-hmm. and people outside of hockey, they decided on the team's interim general manager becoming the 10th general manager, Kyle Davidson, will be named uh, the general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks, according to Frank Saravelli, tomorrow. So we had baseball names in there, basketball, like non-hockey names were being bandied about for this job, and in the end, it's someone from the franchise already. What's your gut reaction to that? Because mine is, they interviewed a lot of people for optics, perhaps? Yeah, Elliot Friedman kept saying that, uh, you know, like there was such an interesting story in and around it, but there were different people within the organization that wanted different things, and that Kyle Davidson was one of the favorites all along. Yes. And I will, uh, I'll ride with Elliot on this one. All right, time for a break. Ron McLean joins us next. We count down Rogers' hometown hockey, Leafs and Caps, also the Devils and Canucks, our national. We'll take your rate up until 7 Eastern. Coverage will take over from there. Rob McLean next, right here on Tim and Friends. Crucial games against the teams right behind you in the standings. Set the tone here early. Plumlee. Oh, look at Mason Plumlee just destroy Birch. Martin drives the baseline and lays it in. Raptors putting up little resistance right now as they turn it over, and Kelly Oubre Jr. gets a showtime dunk. Regroup and try to get one back tomorrow night in Atlanta. Raptors still clinging to a one-point lead. Trey Young knocks down the sidestep jumper. He's starting to become a problem, guys. Trey Young going to work. Man, is he fun to watch right now? He's got a 40-piece. Atlanta wins this one, 127-100. Come out, we play like ass, and, and everybody wants to jump to conclusions. Write what you will. I, I believe in this team. I think we'll be back. Like ass. Not <laughs> ideal. Raptors post all-star break got off to a rough start this weekend. The looks to turn it around. Starting tonight in Brooklyn, no Simmons, Irving, For the Nets, no KD, though they hope he will return later this week. He won't play in the home-and-home versus Toronto. Raptors actually favored by four points tonight. Freddie Van Vliet not likely to play. Nick Nurse said of Fred's injured knee, he's been more sore than before. Also didn't have an update on OG Ananobi. I have an update on Eric Smith. He is joining me now from the Smith Compound, I believe, in Burlington, Ontario. Smitty, welcome back to Tim and Friends. Good to see you. Good to see you. What the hell went on this weekend? I know, listen, we're going to get into uh, you doing other work this weekend on Canada Basketball. Fine job, my friend, along with Javon Shepard. But let's start with the Raptors. What the hell? Do you remember those old uh, like commercials? And I'm, I'm really dating myself here. Anybody that's like, I don't know, 20 or younger won't remember this. But you remember when you actually have to have like long distance phone plans? <laughs> yes. So I'm, I'm, I'm shouting out a company here that I don't think exists any longer, Timmy. But 1010220. So Jonesy and I are long distance. Yeah, now exactly. it's called you know, FaceTime. 
<laughs> yeah, punch the code in before you had to call, like, and, and, you know, you had to worry about your minutes and all that stuff. <laughs> so Jonesy and I, years ago, and it shows how old we possibly are, we used to talk about 10-10-62. That's how we break up the NBA season. Right. There are 10 games, no matter what happens, you are just in your bag. Everything is going your way, and you are not going to lose. It doesn't matter who the opponent is. It doesn't matter what defense is thrown at you. You are winning that game. There are 10 games where it doesn't matter what happens, you are losing. You are not going to make a shot. The rim could be 1,000 feet wide. You are not hitting anything, and you are going to get hammered. It's those 62 games. That's where your season is decided, Timmy. Those 62, what's your record in those 62? Now, I was ready to chalk up Friday night against the Hornets as one of those one 10. Of the 10. Yeah. One of those 10. First game back after the break. Guys trying to come back into the mix. And, and you know what? I'm ready to write that one off because we haven't seen the Raptors really throttled a whole lot this season. In fact, I believe Toronto is the number one. If they're not number one, they're definitely top two or three in the entire league. In games, three points or less, two minutes to go. They've had over 20 games. More than a third of their schedule Mm -hmm. has come down to three points or less in the final two minutes of the game. So we haven't seen, as I say, them get throttled much. But then Saturday against Atlanta, anybody that goes, well, hold on a second, Eric. If Friday was one of those 10, (laughs) what was Saturday? And I would say Saturday was a loss. Saturday was one of those ones in the 62. You lost that game because if you recall, if you actually stuck with it or you were with it and then stayed around for a little bit of the second half, they were in that game in the first half. Like they had a lead. They gave up the lead. They scratched and clawed for a little bit. And then Atlanta started to pull away a little bit towards half and obviously dominated the second half of that ball game. But that was, to me, a different script, Timmy, than what we saw on Friday. Friday was a write-off from the get-go. Two minutes into the game, it was over. Toronto's buried by 10, 12 points in the first, you know, three, four minutes of the ball game. Saturday, they showed some fight. That was, to me, just a loss. But it's concerning, and I see you throwing the numbers up right there. It's absolutely concerning when you come back from the break with two losses and combine that with what happened before the break where you followed up your extended win streak with a narrow loss to the uh, to the Denver Nuggets, but then getting blown out by the Pelicans. And now you're starting to go, hold on a second. Mm-hmm. It's not just two straight. It's four of the last five. And there is reason for concern there, Timmy. All right. Very, very long-winded answer to your what the hell happened. No, and, and I, I understand all of it. My, my follow-up immediately, though, is when you mention those 62 and how many of them have come down to three points or less under two minutes to go, my mind immediately goes to all those minutes that have been racked up by Freddie Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes. Could that be what's catching? I know you're not around the team as much as you normally would be in non-COVID times, but from what you're hearing in and around the team, how much of this is just uh, a wear and tear that is kind of sort of catching up to the squad? Uh. I think part of it is, I, I mean, I think it'd be foolish to say that it's not at least a, a part of a factor. It's just a matter of maybe debating or, or discussing how much of a factor, Timmy, because I would say the competitor in all of this, I, you know, whether you're a weekend warrior, whether you played high school, college, university, pro, semi-pro, don't you want to be out there? And I don't think it's any different for the pros, right? They, they want to be out there. And I, I'm more of the, maybe I'm old school in this way of thinking, Timmy, but I, I kind of tend to think that If I'm going to be in uniform and I'm going to play, then I want to play. And you know what? I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility in today's day and age where the travel parties for most of these NBA teams include 17 assistant coaches and 14 trainers and and any number of specialists and and therapists and nutritionists and everything else. 
I don't think it's too much to ask to uh, have a finely tuned professional athlete fire it up for three hours, four to five days a week. As long as there's not a lot of practice and there's a whole lot of maintenance in between, I don't think it's a major ask. That said, I will acknowledge that the schedule right now for the Raptors is a bear. Four games in five nights, five games in seven nights. That's to me where, yes, to your point, the minutes mm -hmm. could start to rack up a little bit. And how much has that played a factor into some of the bumps and bruises and whatnot that the Raptors are experiencing? I think it'd be foolish to say that it's not at least a portion of the equation. I'm more of the weekend warrior type than the uh, pro type, Smitty. But even then, I often had to be saved for myself. Right. Like, and, and sometimes when you look at NBA players, I think, yes, Freddie Van Vliet really wanted to go to an NBA All-Star game. And he wasn't going to ask out of any of those games, especially when he was putting up monster numbers. But sometimes, sometimes in order for the long run, for the big picture, sometimes you have to save them from themselves because they are extremely high-level competitors. And that's where I lie on that. I don't want to let you go without talking about Canada basketball. They remain perfect in World Cup qualifying. I know you called two games over the weekend, one a little closer than the other. What's the biggest takeaway from Canada leading a group where they only need to finish top three out of four? Uh, biggest takeaway was that they handled the pressure on, on Saturday in that game against Dominican Republic. Uh, down in Santo Domingo, the place was almost full. The crowd in, in, in a tiny gym right on top of you. Uh, they handled the officials. The, I mean, the free throw differential oh at one God. point. At the end of the game, it, it was still a bad number. I don't even remember what the end of the game number was. But at one point late in the game, it was 40 to 8. Yeah. 40 to 8 in terms of free throw attempts. The fact that the Canadians withstood all of those sort of side things that could have impacted them, I think that was huge. And also the fact that they just kind of showed off their depth not only in their front court, I think the front court is strong overall, Tim, mm -hmm. but the back court, right before tip-off on Saturday, they found out that Kenny Cherry was out due to health and safety protocols. And he was a key piece, I would argue, back in November uh, in those two victories over Bahamas. And to lose Cherry right before tip-off uh, to health and safety protocols and then not have him on Sunday, uh, Bell Haynes stepped up, uh, Kajami Keene stepped up, um, certainly Aaron Best as well. It just shows the depth that Canada has. And we're not even talking about any of the NBA guys. So, I think we're seeing more and more, really, again, that depth of talent that Canada has and that they can go deep into the well when needed. And that's, to me, what impressed me more than anything. Uh, this is CONCACAF soccer, America's basketball at its best. Uh, Dominican Republic took 44 free throws. Canada had 16 free throws. And this is supposed to be a bubble. So Canada was actually the home team in that game against the Dominican Republic played in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. Well, and you said 16. So eight of those 16 came in the last, <laughs> I want to say, three minutes of the game when, yeah. when the Dominicans were trying to foul to try and extend the game and get themselves back into it. But at right. one point, it was 40 to 8. It was, it was abysmal. Ridiculous. And somehow Canada fought through. Like, take a look at how many free throw misses the Dominicans oh, had. That game could have very easily been a loss for Canada because of the free throw line. Honest to goodness, you and I could shoot better free throws than the Dominican Republic shot on that day. 100%. It was unbelievable. I mean, 100% we would have. I wouldn't yeah, shoot 100%. We wouldn't shoot 100%, yeah. I'm going to shoot around 65, but that would have been probably second on the Dominican Republic. Uh, appreciate your time, as always. Next window uh, coming up for Canada early July. So we'll see maybe some NBA players getting a little tune-up at that time. And some rumblings, nothing confirmed, nothing confirmed, but some rumblings that those two games may be in Canada. These two games were supposed oh, nice. to be in Canada, yeah. but because of all the COVID issues and travel and whatnot, they were stuck back down. 
uh, in Santo Domingo, and there's some rumblings that Canada may be the host for those two games in the summer. Good. Uh, Smitty, great catching up with you. Thanks for doing this. All right. Always good. Thanks. There is Eric Smith. Uh, you can hear him on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. You can see him on Sportsnet. Uh, you can read him on Sportsnet. All right. It is the last day of February, meaning Black History Month is coming to a close. But as we've tried to relay over the past month, over the past years on the show, the fight for justice and equality is every day and an every month cost for everyone. We do want to acknowledge, though, just how important it is to chase your dreams. Spoken word po- poet Moyo Omole recites this poem, I Dream Because I Can, featuring the Canadian National Basketball Program. I dream because I can. In the darkest hour, I dream about what my life could become. Whether I could achieve the unattainable or change recourse and stand tall amongst giants. Who can stop greatness? I am a force to be reckoned with, unstoppable, and my dreams transcend beyond any sport. Time waits for no one, and I am next in line. On this court, my dreams become activated while I move from left to right, and I remind myself that this was all a dream, nothing short of a dream that many thought was inconceivable. Look at me now, look at us. We stand in line waiting to be announced. My dream is now. I play because I can without permission. My time is now. As a mortal human being, you cannot tell me that it's impossible to break ceilings. The sky refuses to contain my greatness and the sun shines on every court that I stand on. As the whistle blows and the game starts, my eyes locked in on time. I must officiate with integrity, fairness, decisiveness, and sound judgment. This is my court, our court. Sound the alarm and let all know that I officiate because I once dreamed. And I dream because I can is an anthem. We are supreme. Let's sing the national anthem. I am the head coach. The Goliath in every battle. We refuse to be defeated. We refuse to play like those that are frightened. My dream for the team started on every court that reminded me that my color does not inhibit our greatness. Color does not stop you from recognizing the team that refuses to lose in any battle. I run my game, not because I stand amongst giants, but because I allowed myself to dream. And I dream without any censorship because sky is the limit for those who choose to break invincible boundaries. I coach because I can is not a slogan stolen from any book you can ever read. It's my anthem. Shout aloud so that they can hear it. And if you can hear it, tell them we fear no one. Because this court is ours. Let the dreamers assemble. Our time is now. We dream because we can. Great job by Moyo Mole and, of course, Joe Pack, who put that together. All right, uh, before we go to break, we've got some breaking news. We do? We do. Sources telling Daily Faceoffs Frank Saravelli that the Chicago Blackhawks have decided on a GM. And after all of the uh, very interesting names mm-hmm. and people outside of hockey, they decided on the team's interim general manager becoming the 10th general manager, Kyle Davidson, will be named 
uh, the general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks, according to Frank Saravelli, tomorrow. So we had baseball names in there, basketball, like non-hockey names were being bandied about for this job. And in the end, it's someone from the franchise already. It's your gut reaction to that, because mine is they interviewed a lot of people for optics, perhaps. Yeah, Elliot Friedman kept saying that, uh, you know, like there was such an interesting story in and around it, but there were different people within the organization that wanted different things, and that Kyle Davidson was one of the favorites all along. Yes. And I will, uh, I'll ride with Elliot on this one. All right, time for a break. Ron McLean joins us next. We count down Rogers' hometown hockey, Leafs and Caps. Also, the Devils and Canucks are national. We'll take your rate up until 7 Eastern. Coverage will take over from there. Rob McLean next, right here on Tim and Friends. The third meeting between the old original six and Atlantic Division rivals, Mitch Martyr scores. Martyr's double down. Mitch Martyr feeling it with three straight in the second period. Team up deflection goal. This might be getting interesting. It's 7 4. Leno up off the shoulder, and suddenly, shockingly, it's a two-goal lead. Here is Sider, scores! It's a one-goal game! Ilya McCann's in, and scores! Here comes Lucas Raymond, he's got two goals, he's got a hat-trick, and it's 8-7! to seven. Across, scores! Short-handed, Andre Kashyap, Michael Bunting's in, leads the Carter scores! And the Leafs are in double digits, and Mitch Marner's got four. Throwback night, 10-7 for final. It's like the 60s, the Argos beat the Lions by a field goal, 10-7 the final Saturday night in Detroit. Throwback to the 80s despite the win. Leafs fans on edge after Jack Campbell was pulled. The Leafs' defensive issues continued. Peter Morazic will start in Washington tonight. As the Leafs face Ovi and the Caps, see it at 7.30 Eastern on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 1 after Rogers' hometown hockey. That's right, kids. You can hear the music. The Canucks, meantime, have won three straight and five of six and enter the night just three points out of a playoff spot in the West. They face the Devils in a battle of the Hughes brothers nationally on Sportsnet Pacific at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 local in the lower mainland. Yarrow Halak will start in goal for the Vancouver Canucks. As mentioned, Rogers Hometown Hockey will follow us 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific across Sportsnet and Sportsnet 1. Ron McLean hosts solo tonight, and we wish a quick recovery and return for Tara Sloan. He joins us now. Ron, as always, thanks for doing this, and I promise no Scarborough slang today. Yes, right. Nice uh, you to mention Tara. Love to you, Tara. Uh, been a lot of uh, love on social media for Tara today, who's got the sniffles, nothing more. She's double-vaxxed, uh, boosted, you name it. Uh, it's just one of those things that seems to be coming to us all, so in the protocol for a week. You know, just listening to the, uh, some of the 17 goals from Saturday night, Tim, <laughs> yes. this is a little bit of an off-beaten story. Uh, Reed Duthie does the Hamilton Bulldogs, and we were showing Mason McTavish came back from the Beijing Olympics, his first game back Friday night. Mm-hmm. Two goals, including one thirty seconds, and this Reed Duthie did a really nice call of that. He was once asked, who's your hero? Who, what's the greatest play call? Because you sometimes do those polls. Mm-hmm. And he said, Chris Cuthbert, 1993, David Volek. And then I watched the, the uh, goal, Brad Delgarna, with whom I play beer league hockey every Tuesday night and last week, Tuesday and Friday night, oh, nice. played on that team that upset Mario Lemieux and the Pittsburgh Penguins in seven games. And Cuthbert's call of uh, Volek's goal is 
unbelievable. And it's a very straightforward kind of Jim Robson-esque details of the goal going in. And then he says, and there will be a new Stanley Cup champion, you know, and it was just a fabulous call that listening to Chris, who's got work on his plate tonight, uh, was very inspiring. Yeah, without a doubt. That's one of those Google ones I will do after. Now, yeah. I mean, listen, uh, all those goals, all that consternation. I mean, with 1967, this is saying something. And you've been around for a little while. But have you ever seen this kind of concern for Leaf fans, for what everyone kind of sort of knows is a good team? Well, you know, obviously they're thinking, can Jack Campbell win? And it doesn't help that Freddie Anderson's got uh, the Carolina Hurricanes yeah. <laughs> or a, a whale-level hockey team down there. So, I mean, look, uh, it was a, a he fought it. Kelly Rudy knew he fought it, uh, and it'll be incumbent on uh, Jack to find it. But sometimes, like Kelly went through uh, the year he took L.A. to the Stanley Cup final in 1993, it was right around this time of the year. He hit the doldrums. He, uh, he reached out and got some help. Uh, but, I, I, you know, I think Jack's just got to find it now. He... he it's funny, you can come back from All-Stars. Everybody, Elliot's talked a lot about the COVID break, and it's true. Uh, I also find right after All-Star can sometimes be a, a daunting period for somebody. So mm-hmm. that has to be solved. It'll be Mrazek tonight. Uh, other than that, I mean, the team that can score those 10 goals is, uh, is a legitimate contender for a Stanley Cup. Uh, without a doubt. My, my pops always told me you can't, uh, you can't learn if you're talking. So I love leaning on your experience and listening to you. I was thinking about the situation that Alexander Ovechkin is in, given the state of world affairs right now and his, uh, his relationship with Vladimir Putin. Can you think of another player in another time that has been a, in a similar spot or anything close to this, uh, at least in hockey? No. Uh, I mean, you know, honestly, Tim, anything well said is well thought and that you take great pains to try and be researched. And I, I have found it difficult uh, in the last little while to to listen to the subject and, and fully comprehend what what a position would be for a hockey player. I think, yeah. you know, for Ovechkin, his his no more war was as uh, about as close to a condemnation. I mean, it isn't. And uh, I know he feels completely lost in terms of what to do about this situation. Uh, and I feel for him badly because, uh, you know, if, if he strongly understood the issue and he and he strongly felt, uh, you know, that he could he could make a sensible comment on it. Uh, I think he's the kind of heart that would. I, I really do have great respect for, you know, Ovi lost a brother uh, who, who was very young and it had a tremendous impact on him understanding the preciousness of life. Um, so, but he's just I think he's caught a little bit. You know, it's not like Cassius Clay who, or Muhammad Ali who went at his homeland. Um, and it's not like the chicks, formerly the Dixie chicks, who went at their homeland. In the case of Clay, it was over Vietnam. In the case of the chicks, it was uh, Iraq. Uh, they tackled their homeland. And uh, it would be nice if he did it. Um, but I do I do understand that he, he may feel like he's in a position he doesn't know how to articulate it. And maybe he doesn't feel he's had time to to understand it. Uh, I. I it's the strangest story because it's so atrocious and so scary. I mean, Iraq was scary, too. Let's mm-hmm. be honest. The uh, U.S. broke the rule of law when it stepped in on the basis of uh, evidence that hadn't been proven. So the world gets into these uh, situations of conflict that uh, are scary to all of us because of the threat of nuclear. Um, but I don't think any of us are truly in a position uh, to offer a good opinion on that. And I, and I, I do believe Ovechkin needs to be cut a little slack uh, for that. I know he, he made his bed by saying he's a fan of Putin's, just as poor Bobby yep. Orr made his bed by saying he's a fan of Donald Trump. Now, that means a good thing to a lot of people and a bad thing to another a lot of people. It's almost split evenly, right? So, 
it's, it's kind of a no-win. And in the world where, as, as we said, to have a good thought has to be well-researched and uh, articulated, uh, that doesn't happen very often in the world of social. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, well said, as always, Mr. McLean. Uh, besides that context of OV playing at home for the first time since all this happened, uh, some pretty good games, not only the Canucks and the Devils, but also the Leafs and Caps. We'll be watching and uh, see if you can handle it alone with Tara Sloan on the shelf tonight. Won't be the same. Won't <laughs> uh, be the same. Appreciate you doing this. Thank you, Tim. Cheers. Uh, there is Ron McLean, Hi, the legend, the experience that I love to lean on in these moments. All right, time for a break. Last call. Jesse Rubinoff is who I will lean on next. From McLean to Rubinoff. He's a little bit more articulate than I am over here, but well, we'll see. We'll let the viewers be the judge of that. I'll try. <laughs> Welcome back. Our Monday tip of the cap goes to Woolies Warriors. That's right. On Saturday night in Owen Sound, the OHL team, the attack, held a charity game night known as Woolies Warriors in support of not only kids diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, but their captain, Mark Woolley, who established the foundation after he was diagnosed at the age of 12. Now, the team wore custom Woolley Warrior jerseys that were auctioned off to support the foundation and to help send kids to Diabetes Canada decamps. Story good enough on its own. Instead, despite a five-game losing streak at home, Owen Sound took it to overtime when Sam Sedley did the rest, capping the night with a Superman Selly to unveil the Woolly Warriors jersey. Now he has control behind the net. Sam Sedley steps out. He scores! Good night! The attack win! Sam Sedley! Pointing to Woolly's Warriors on his jersey as a celebration as the Owen Sound attack defeat the Guelph Storm 3-2 in overtime. Sometimes things just work out. The night raised over $15,000. You can still help out by heading to woolliesWarriors.com slash donate. Time for Last Call and Jesse Rubinoff. Jesse. Here we go, Timmy. Um, mm, not great. Van Vliet not playing tonight. That's It's official. He's not playing. Uh, but is it, like, I know, like, initially you're like, he's not playing, that's not good. But earlier in the that's show, what I said. Yeah, yeah. you and I had yeah. a conversation about whether or not he should probably sit out one, maybe two of these back-to-backs against a banged-up Nets team. Yeah, it's not good because he's not healthy. Right. Um, but in the long term, it's probably best for him to get healthy by sitting out of these games. I think Raptor fans in at least one of the two back-to-backs and this stretch of four and five nights kind of sort of understood that they were probably going to miss Fred Van Vliet for yeah. some. Just hopefully it's a rest, recuperate, get better, and then finish the stretch drive. Malachi Flynn started lineup too, as you saw in that tweet yes. from uh, Blake Murphy. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Liverpool won the Carabao Cup on Sunday, beating Chelsea in a dramatic penalty shootout. After 11 rounds, it came down to the goalkeepers. But Chelsea's Kepa, who was brought on in the closing moments of extra time as a penalty specialist, sailed his attempt way over the net. Uh, can Kepa still be considered a penalty specialist? I feel so bad for this guy. He was brought on as a penalty specialist as a keeper. Now, nobody expected him to take the penalty. They just wanted him to make saves or get in guys' heads enough to make saves. He did not stop one shot. They converted on every one of their attempts, did Liverpool, and he did not get in the way of any of them. So it comes down to him, and that is 
the absolute worst performance that you could possibly have for a keeper in a penalty shootout. And he was brought on as a specialist. It is, as a keeper myself, like, that is worst case scenario. Like, literally, he might as well have not shown up. He didn't do anything. Doesn't it? Does, he didn't do it anything. It does not get much worse no. than that. Like at least, you know, Jack Campbell made a save here and there on Saturday night. Yeah, without a doubt, he did the absolute worst that he possibly could in the moment <laughs> that he was brought in. That's tough to be a part of. Still a good keeper, though. Just had a rough, rough outing. Uh, not a penalty specialist, though, evidently. Uh, staying with shootouts, the Manitoba Moose beat the Chicago Wolves Sunday afternoon. Moose forward. Jeff Malott scored the shootout winner, but it was his walk-off celebration that got even more attention. I love this. Walk-offs, of course, best known in baseball. But what's the best non-baseball walk-off moment, and is this it? I mean, for hockey, this is pretty good. Do you think he has this set up with the um, doorkeeper there? Like, someone had to know to open that door for him. It's possible. It's possible. You know what my first thought when I watched it was, honestly? I saw it, and I thought, maybe he's upset about something earlier in the game. I didn't actually look too far into it. But like maybe he's upset about getting to the shootout, and he's just going off the ice because he's mad. Yeah. But if that is, in fact, the celebration, it's pretty darn good. I did see the video, and it was like the, the uh, backup goalie for the Wolves was in that spot and came across. So they might have just been opening it for the Wolves goalie to come right. up. Either way. Wonderful celebration. Uh, as for the answer to your question, do you know the name Harold Varner? Yeah. Golfer? Of course. Won the Saudi HB3. Yeah. Man. Did you uh, did you see his 92-foot oh, yeah. I mean, eagle putt this didn't get enough to win love. on the final hole of the Saudi International? It didn't get enough love because of, of the time change and everything, but I mean... It doesn't get better than that. It's impossible. That's a pretty damn good way to win a golf tournament. Yeah, I mean, that's better than the hockey one. You're right. That is better. Like, I was thinking about. I was thinking about Michael Vick running into a tunnel. I was thinking about Bo Jackson running into a tunnel. A 92 foot putt to win it? Yeah. Like, you wouldn't stop me. I'd be on a soccer run. I'd be like, where's Vick Router? Oh, there's Bo. Like, this is, yeah, I mean, I get this, but, you know. This happens. How often does a 93-foot putt happen? Did, did this inspire Forrest Gump? <laughs> so, possibly. <laughs> That's good. That's so good. And that was like the first that we had seen of it. Bo knows. Love, peace, and hair grease. Uh, okay, a cool moment in last night's Canucks-Rangers game at Madison Square Garden. Very cool. As Tyler Myers scored his first goal of the season. In the same arena, his brother Nick's yes. rookie, Quentin Grimes, calls home. Myers and Grimes are the first ever pair of brothers to play in the NHL and NBA. Who are the best cross-sports siblings in sports right now? That's a great question. I mean... That's a hard one. I hit you with these when, Mike. If Arthur Jones and Chandler Jones and John Jones don't lead the way, I don't know who does. Do do John's really good. Um, I didn't do, know that. Do his uh, transgressions take away from that right now? Uh, in this particular category, no. In the grand scheme of his UFC legacy, yes. Oh, hold on, friends of the show, the nurses. Do you add cousins Ooh. to this mix? Ooh, nope. Kia, nope. Darnell, Sarah, nope. Cabo, Kia, and Darnell. 
How about Dan Darnell's pretty good. This is a fun, this is fun. We're gonna have to do some more research on this. I'm impressed. How do you know all these? Like on the top of your head. I may have been tipped off on this question. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, lo- I don't I, I love that you were impressed. I was by like, it, oh my god. But goodness. I did do a little looking up early. And by the way, uh, I shouted this out uh, when we were doing the Canadian soccer. Martin Nash, brother of Canadian Steve Nash. That's pretty damn good. Play for a Canadian national team. A lot of people thought that if he had come along at a different time. And dad played pro too. Uh, was it current? I was going to say the hows. Oh, yeah, right now. That was the question. Was it right now? Yeah, it was right well, now. I just went back with the Nashes, yeah. so um, I'm guilty, too. But you I talked know. about brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Mark and Marty, really? <laughs> Guess not. Uh, today marks the 12th they're anniversary. The same, they're in the same sport, <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah. I went there. Uh, the 12th anniversary. You obviously of weren't tipped off on that question. Gold. No, I wasn't. <laughs> oh, man. This makes me sad to see the, these uh, moving pictures. Uh, it's been eight years since we've seen NHL errors at the Olympics. Will Crosby ever play in oh another? Oh, God. I never thought about that. I really hope so. That's a, this is where... This is heartbreaking. Yeah, this is where... Uh, I said that the NHL has failed the game of hockey. Well, we haven't seen best on best for a long time, and when we did, it was kind of gimmicky. It was so fun at the time, but now you look back on it and you're like, well, it wasn't a true best on best tournament. And every, like, it feels like we've had, like, Mario Lemieux played with Wayne Gretzky. Connor McDavid never got to play with Sidney Crosby. That feels so wrong. Best on best, and if that happens... It feels like a generation of Canadian. Like even if they go to the next hockey ones, fans, like, period. That, it's four years, right? So Sid's getting up there in age. He's not going to be the same Sidney Crosby, even if they I do play together. Guarantee it, there'll be a World Cup because the NHL knows this. Uh, ASAP would be nice. They've screwed this. Up. Like I don't know, a couple weeks. They'll it blame it on COVID, yeah. but they probably could have figured it out. Yes. Yeah. All right. That does it for us. Rob McClain standing by with Rogers Hometown Hockey. That's followed by the Leafs and the Caps from Washington on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 1. Canucks and Devils are on Sportsnet Pacific nationally. Kings and Bruins later on Sportsnet 1. And don't do it, forget WWE Monday Night Raw. Sportsnet 360, thank you very much for watching. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Now over to Rob McClain.